on this episode of New Retina Radio. Oh, sweetheart, don't you know that you're a girl, so you're going to take the first offer and you won't negotiate. And, and she didn't know that. We haven't even had a conversation about your actual disease process yet. And, you know, I want another doctor. Okay, fine. Everybody benefits by bringing women up, but it's culturally different. That and more coming up. Retina Radio is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. This is Mike Lee at Horton Plaza Park in San Diego, here for the Retina Society 2016 meeting. New Retina Radio is brought to you by Alcon Surgical. Stop by our booth at an upcoming meeting to see how Alcon is advancing vitreoretinal surgery. You're listening to New Retina Radio from New Retina MD and Bryn Mawr Communications. Uh, Greg, are we good to go? We are good. I'm Scott Criswanis. I'm Rana Draha. This is New Retina Radio. We're continuing our conversation about women in retina. Don't worry, we're going to change topics for the next episode, but there was just too much good stuff to not follow up on. I'm sure you noticed by now that the episodes we're running relate to topics covered in New Retina MD. There are topics that withstand the test of time. That's the goal, after all, to provide you with content that will still be relevant in a few years. I love clinical trial data. Rana loves clinical trial data. You love <laughs> clinical trial data. But it's not going to be relevant in a couple of years. And, and you can read about that you know, in print or on iWire or hear it from the podium. We hope that these topics are going to be relevant for years down the line. That's right. And as a reminder, that topic is women in retina. We'll continue to speak with Julia Holler, Anat Lowenstein, Jessica Randolph, and Talisa DiCarlo. We've also added a fifth voice. She'll come in later. A few of our listeners commented that we sounded too optimistic at the end of the first episode. Like, we made it sound like the problems for women in retina were once really severe, and now they've completely vanished. And while things have certainly improved, there's still a long way to go. Don't, don't be intimidated by it. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to kiss the microphone. <laughs> Isn't that what they tell you? Isn't kiss the mic? The or mic? eat. I thought it was eat the mic. Eat the mic. Let's start with Julia again. Hi, I'm Julia Haller. I'm the ophthalmologist-in-chief at Will's Eye Hospital. Yeah, I'm sure you remember her. Yeah, she's hard to forget. I asked Julia about Avenue's success as a young woman. Do you have to, because you're working in such a male-dominated field as a young woman, do you have to prove yourself? Like, do you have to work twice as hard to get the same amount of respect from some people? I mean, I, maybe. <laughs> I, I think it's, for me, it's been more that I had to work hard to, um, to not seem as pushy and driven and hardworking as I was, you know, to, um, why is that? Because if a woman is pushy, she's yes. she's a bitch. Yeah. Is that why? Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 I know that feeling. I do not. I am a guy. It's kind of hard to explain, but it seems like when a woman has confidence and holds a position of authority, for whatever reason, it's not respected the same way it would be for a male counterpart. Hmm. Instead of being revered as a positive symbol of strength and achievement, women in power are sometimes perceived more as unapproachable and somewhat of a brute force. Oh, okay, okay. So it's like uh, it's a balance between bitch and boss. Yeah, right. 
Uh, one of our other interview subjects, Jessica. Hi, this is Jessica Randolph, MD. I'm a retina specialist in Burlington, North Carolina. She knew balance between boss and bitch isn't easy. Everyone loves to call a woman in charge a bitch or a boss. Right. Because we know what we want and we want to get it. And if it's a guy? Then it's just a guy, you know, doing his thing and running his, you know, running his business or whatever. But for women, it's, you know, we're, we're being a bitch or we're emotional because we're PMSing or whatever. Jessica understood Julia's sentiment about working harder to achieve, but her motivation is a little bit different. Kind of a common quote in black households is that you have to work twice as hard as everyone else to achieve the same things. And that's, that's true. For Jessica, race and gender played similar roles as roadblocks during her professional development. I mean, racism is real. <laughs> uh, although it's not overt, there's definitely some uh, inherent discrimination in the whole medical system, you know, and, and all of the interviews and everything. And, um, you know, being from the South and training in the South, there are, there's definitely things that are there you know it's and again the, most of the time nowadays things aren't so blatant and obvious you know you don't show up for an interview and they say well you're not going to get this job because you're black or because you're a woman in our previous episode jessica said that asking questions about maternity leave during residency or fellowship interviews is ill-advised yeah that's right she said it kind of throws some stank on the conversation yeah yeah even just asking what the maternity policy is kind of colors the discussion after that. And I feel like people take that a, a certain way. Um, you know, they, they feel like you're going to start cranking out kids and neglect your work and, you know, not be a good employee anymore, which is just false. Similarly, the tone of conversation with regard to race is subtle but present. You definitely get kind of the vibe that some people are like, oh, well, you know, she's just here because of affirmative action or she's just pretty and that's how she's gotten where she is. What about if she weren't a black woman? Nah, she says the circumstances would be different. Whereas, you know, if it were the same resume with a white guy on it, then it'd be, you know, oh, he worked hard and he got here on his merit instead of, you know, questioning or throwing doubts into things. The interactions with patients are strange when you consider race and the fact that Jessica practices in the South. Is it different from, uh, like, from the gender stuff? Yeah, similar, but it's different. People are more verbal about uh, racist things than they are about sexist things. So, you know, the sexism thing is people thinking, you know, thinking I'm the nurse or not believing that I'm the doctor or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, whereas the racist thing is the patient who will say, uh, I want a different doctor. I'm like, well, you just met me. You don't know anything about me. <laughs> you just know my name. You don't, we haven't even had a conversation about your actual disease process yet. And, you know, I want another doctor. Okay, fine. I assume she picks and chooses her battles in this regard. Exactly. I'm not going to change your mind. I'm not going to, like, you know, change hundreds of years of inherent bias from your racist parents and et cetera. So, you know, just let it roll. Keep it moving. This sucks. It's just an extra thing to deal with in an already busy clinic. Yeah, but she's optimistic. Jessica sees the tide turning more toward open-mindedness, or at least away from prejudice. She framed it as a generational shift, both in patients and in the founding fathers of retina. I think a lot of these issues are 
you know, the older generation of retina specialists who, you know, were there when there was literally like Alice McPherson and no other woman in retina. That's the generation of, of men that think that women are not as good as men or not as capable of reattaching a retina. Or to use a retina cliche. It's a paradigm shift. So there's the younger folks who seem to get it. All the guys that are that I know in retina that are my generation, I don't have a problem with them. And then there's the older crew. The older generation that is doing the interviewing and hiring the new physicians and things like that, those are the ones that that mostly, you know, kind of have this inherent bias. And, uh, you know, the same goes true for racism. I think, you know, the younger crowd is a lot more liberal and accepting. And it's, you know, the old white guy retina specialists who think that, you know, affirmative action is the only reason I was in medical school or whatever. I asked Jessica about black female mentorship in retina, and you've already guessed it, it's a pretty scant population. You mentioned being a black woman is a, is a pretty unique role in retina. Um, were there any black women role models that you encountered? Um, yes. You say that sort of skeptically. No, there are. I'm just thinking, you know, there's, there's literally not very many of us. And one of our other subjects said that appearances matter and that racial diversity is part of it. My name is Gita Lalwani. I'm a retina specialist at Rocky Mountain Retina Associates in Boulder, Colorado. Gita told us how her race intersects with retina. My background is from India. Both my parents are from India. I do not come from a medical background, um, but entering into medical school, residency, fellowship, there are a lot of Indians in the world of medicine, a lot. We were at VBS when we spoke to her, and she said that the meeting confirmed her observations. I look at this meeting today and I, I always pay attention to, you know, how many are women and how many are Indian, because those are the things that are relevant to me. And the number of Indians in retina is quite amazing and astounding. Mm, which is all well and good for Indians, but other groups aren't represented so well. And then I also think at the same time that some of the other uh, minorities are very well under underrepresented. Appearances are important, she said, particularly from the podium. What a difference it makes for me seeing people up on the podium who look like me in one respect or another. And for those who don't see someone who looks like them on the podium. It's discouraging when you don't see anybody up there who looks like you. You can see why a minority woman in retina is a double whammy. Because one, you're female, and you're already a rare breed. And two, unless you're, uh, you know, like a well-represented minority, like Indians, as Gita pointed out, your isolation is compounded. Jessica said that despite the fact that there are only a few black docs in ophthalmology, they stick together. The black ophthalmology um, kind of unit is, is very tight, and at the National Medical Association, which is the medical association for essentially minorities and African Americans, there's always a very strong ophthalmology section with a research program. Which made us here at New Retina Radio think of mentorships in general. Mm -hmm. When it comes to women, uh, what organizations exist and, and how do they function? Are they even useful? And what are the personal mentorships like? When you talk about personal mentorships with docs, you put yourself at a risk for hearing just, you know, a, like a laundry list of people, all of whom get shout outs, 
And this isn't because docs are trying to cover their bases or check all the boxes. It's because the mentorship world in Retina, you know, it, it really is like a rich environment where a bunch of important people positively influence uh, like one young doctor's life. So for our purposes, let's stick to a single mentor for these subjects. Talisa, for example. Hi, my name is Talisa DiCarlo. I'm a fourth year medical student at Tufts University and previous OCT fellow at New England Eye Center. Talisa mentioned a particular person, Dr. Nadia Wahid, who influenced her professional life. She is an extremely strong woman. She manages, and I am not sure how, to have an incredible clinical practice. She manages so much of the OCT research. She is the director of the Boston Image Reading Center. The admiration is professional. She would spend all of Tuesday working with me or working with another med student, uh, working with the residents, um, and it was her committed research mentorship day. And personal. And she's an incredible mom. She has this loving daughter, Khadijah, who just is the most loyal of, of any children I've ever seen. So she really seems to have a great grip on life, and she has a great attitude, even in the face of uh, fairly uh, significant adversity. And I really look up to her, and I, I hope to be quite a bit like her in the future. Isn't that interesting, though? The desire to emulate someone both professionally and personally? Yeah, it, it is, but it doesn't seem that far-fetched. Like, I do it in my own life. And if you see someone like yourself on the bench, like Talisa did... I think that we have very similar personalities in a way. Then you want to emulate them in real life, too. Gita, when we asked her to name a male mentor, brought up someone in particular. Phil Rosenfeld is another one who's been very supportive of my career uh, coming up. I was lucky enough to do, you know, the Pronto paper with him. And, you know, he promoted both myself and, and Fung. Um as much as he could. All right, points for the fellows. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not that shocking, but you would assume that a woman would be the first to jump in to help other women. Au contraire. Gita said mentors are mentors, regardless of gender. It doesn't necessarily need to be a female. It needs to be someone who's willing and able to promote women retina specialists. And that goes for men or women. She had the philosophy that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I think, honestly, that everybody benefits by bringing women up. But it's culturally different. And how do we bring women up, as Gita says? More on that after the break. Hi, this is Tara Kassan, director of the Retina Fellows Forum outside the Convention Center in Seattle at ARVO 2016. New Retina Radio is brought to you by the 17th Annual Retina Fellows Forum, which will meet in Chicago on January 27th and 28th, 2017. At the meeting, a panel of distinguished retina mentors will prepare second-year retina fellows for the transition from fellowship to practice. It's a very casual meeting with a healthy balance of aggressive work and aggressive play. And I really look forward to seeing you at the meeting and hopefully to share some insights with you and to gain some insights from you. So for more information about the Retina Fellows Forum, email the meeting organizers at fellowsforum at medcomps.com. That's med, M-E-D-C-O-N-F-S dot com. New Retina Radio is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. 
This is Mike Lee at Horton Plaza Park in San Diego, here for the Retina Society 2016 meeting. New Retina Radio is brought to you by Alcon Surgical. Stop by our booth at an upcoming meeting to see how Alcon is advancing vitreoretinal surgery. All right, let's get back to the program. Scott. Rana. New Retina Radio. We've decided that everybody wins when women are promoted in retina, and that the same goes for minority groups. This reminds me a lot about uh, that phrase from Adam Smith about rising tides. Which one? The one that rising tides lift all boats. It's not a perfect analogy, but the same principle applies. If representation of women or underrepresented minority groups, in this case, is the tide, then everyone in retina are the ships. Better representation then equals greater success. Uh But how exactly do we raise this tide? Well, there's a few organizations in retina that try to do so, but our interview subjects have a few ideas on how they work, if they work at all, and how functional they are. First, Jessica. Men are automatically surrounded by men in medicine and in retina. And for women? For women, there's, um, you know, we, I think we take a little bit more uh, initiative to kind of meet other women because there are fewer of us. And the meetings themselves? Part of the meeting is lecture format, and part of it isn't formatted at, at all. There are, you know, social events or lunches where, you know, uh, there are speakers that talk about different things. And some of the meeting is one-on-one. But there's also a, a specific mentoring event for the women in retina group where uh, there's a mentor brunch and you sit down and have brunch with another woman in retina who is assigned to be your mentor. Julia added a bit to the discussion too. I think she is uniquely qualified to discuss female mentorship programs in retina. I helped start Women in Retina Um, I came up with the name WINNER, which is our acronym. In addition to the general sessions and the one-on-one mentoring? It also features meetings such as our uh, fluorescein conference uh, at at the the ASRS meeting, which is a nice chance for women to get together and kind of know each other in terms of uh, clinical skills, too. Julia sees the organizations as positive. Those organizations are hugely beneficial, and they make a concerted effort to adduce scholarship and um, to, to help women particularly understand about negotiations and promotions. She clearly has an opinion on them. I can't say enough good things about them. I, I'm very impressed with the groups and their leadership. Gita attends Winner when she attends the ASRS meeting. When I'm at the meeting, I definitely attend their meetings. Then there's OWL, which stands for Ophthalmic Women's Leaders. We asked Gita if she thought OWL and Winner were useful. Her answer was yes, but with a caveat. You know, that's an interesting question. I think that it is, they are both very useful in certain aspects. Um, As I was thinking about coming to this interview of, of what I would say really, there's a couple of things that come up and one of the strong ones is, is looking for a strong mentor. And I think both of those uh, organizations facilitate that. In fact, I think both of them have made it a priority to help uh, mentees find mentors. Which is a great thing, according to Gita. So in that respect, I think they do a very good job. But the times, they're changing. For the better, yes. But that means these organizations need to adapt too. The one drawback, I think, is that they are separate institutions. And I think that we have, I think women have gotten to a point 
where we have done a lot, we've come a long way. Back again at VBS in Miami, when we chatted with Kita, she pointed to that very meeting as an example of progress. I mean, our meeting today, the VIT buckle meeting, we have 42 female attendees out of 165. That is almost 25% of attendees here are women. And I think the conversations now need to happen with men in the room. So in short, women still have a long way to go in retina, but I don't think it can be accomplished with women alone. I think that men have to be brought into the conversation, and I think that they need to take a role in changing it. I see what she's saying for sure, and I agree that the organizations that she was discussing are integral to, to the industry's success, but I wonder if women always want to join. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's likely that some women may be a tad reluctant. After all, it can be argued that joining a group that is exclusive to women is counterproductive to the goal of establishing equality. Remember Anat Lowenstein? My name is Anat Lowenstein. I'm the chair of the Department of Ophthalmology in the Tel Aviv Medical Center and vice dean at the Sackler Faculty of Medicine in Tel Aviv University, Tel Aviv, Israel. She felt conflicted. For many years I had the concept that I do not want to be differentiated from men, so I do not want to be in these organizations. So I'm not very heavily involved. But then experience led to a change in her perspective. But I, as I mature in my career, I am more open to see the objective difficulties that young women may have, and I'm more open to, to try and, uh, and and be involved in these organizations and try to correct the situation, some, maybe a little bit artificially, as these organizations are doing for, for women. Anat pointed to allocation of grant money as an example of how her views have changed and as an example of how women can have an impact on the careers of other women outside of organizations such as OWL and Winner. For example, if uh, we are in charge of uh, granting uh, research uh, grants, of giving research grants. So I was always against looking at women differently when they apply. But now with experience... Nowadays, I'm more open to think that maybe one grant a year needs to be colored, that it's just for a young woman to help her in trying to correct the fact that she maybe cannot, the early stages, cannot devote so much time to research as their male counterparts and may need more help in this regard. So I'm now more open to be involved, but I'm not very heavily involved until now. Basically, Anat wants to try to adjust for difficulties at the outset of a career by providing more opportunities. So I think basically being a woman should not be a factor. So everyone that is willing to do the effort should be, should be able to do it. Uh, but as I said, I think there, there is room for, for, so for some correcting maneuvers, such as giving them a little more opportunities, especially at the early stages, that will enable them to overcome objective difficulties that they may have as compared to their male counterparts. To Anat, it's a practical matter. If retina doesn't provide opportunities for women to enter the field, the specialty threatens to cut itself off from a good batch of doctors. First of all, we are missing a lot of uh, resources because women are 50% of the population and I think their number in medical schools is growing. So we need to give all the women the opportunity to go to, to retina, not to miss this 
wonderful bunch of people that are there. Anat made a point that Maria Barakal made in our most recent issue of NRMD. She said that women provide a certain touch to retina that men can't provide. Their look may be different on various uh, issues. They may have uh, different points of view. They they give to the to to the to the culture of the profession uh, another something. So I suppose that something that je ne sais quoi might be the element that keeps retina among the strongest fields in medicine. We're shifting away from this topic on New Retina Radio. It was a fun set of debut episodes, and we hope you liked what Rana and I put together here. But before we go, two final things. First, we asked our two most senior interview subjects, Julia and Anat, to offer advice to young female retina surgeons. Unsurprisingly, their advice was identical. I would like maybe to give a take-home message to young women in, their, in the beginning of their career. I think that uh, retina is a great profession. They should not give it up. When they negotiate their position, they should not put themselves in an inferior status. They should look at themselves as uh, equal, as being able to contribute, and they should really believe in themselves and believe that what they need to do is to be the best retina specialists and not necessarily to be nice to the, to the person who is recruiting them. Julia, too, had some thoughts on negotiation. I had a situation a few years ago where I was talking to one of our third-year residents, and um, she left. She said, I've got to go now because I've got my last negotiation for my job that I'm about to take. And I was already turning back to my email, and I kind of said over my shoulder to her, remember not to take the first offer. She came back in the room and said, what did you just say? Why, why did you say that? And uh, I, I was already back in my email and I turned around and I went, oh, sweetheart, don't you know that you're a girl, so you're gonna take the first offer and you won't negotiate. And, and she didn't know that. And that's just, I, I felt, you know, I've really let um, the women in my program down. <laughs> Not taking the first offer is something everyone has been advised at one point or another. Yet, when you're actually in the situation, it's easy to forget or just take the easy way out for the sake of having your first job in the bag. We've started having some uh, more formal mentoring sessions and we've, we've put together some discussion groups. But there's so much scholarship out there that helps inform women. And, you know, one of the things that's well known is that we will take the first offer, we won't negotiate, and that 15% or 10% salary differential over the years makes a huge difference. The solution? Well, that's part of behaving like a mentor, both inside the OR and at the business level. If we can equip people with that knowledge so that when they walk into the negotiation and they are tempted to take the first offer, they know that that's something that they're programmed to do and that they have to fight it uh, in order to get to the point where they need to be. And now a final note. After Jessica heard the first episode, she sent us an email. After hearing the draft for the second episode, she sent us another email. We've combined both emails for the sake of narrative coherence, but we've kept Jessica's language verbatim. Here it goes. Hey, Scott. 
So it's funny, since I listened to the podcast part one, it's like all these things I either noticed more since talking about them, or have become more apparent. Just thought I'd share them with you in case they help out with the podcast. Patients call me Jessica. Not a lot, but a few. In fact, I have a friend who works with a male nurse practitioner. They call her by her first name, and they call him Doctor. WTF. I don't introduce myself by my first name. I don't even mention my first name. I introduce myself as Dr. Randolph. It's just disrespectful for people to call me by a name I haven't even introduced to them. I've discussed with a young male colleague, and he said that it happens to him some, but not that often. I feel like it happens to me all the time. I don't know. I don't want to sound bratty that patients don't call me doctor, but it's a little disrespectful when I don't offer them my first name and they decide they're going to use it anyway. I have a patient that refused to see me because I'm black. He was a patient of the guy before me. When it came time for me to start, he told my head tech that he would not see me because I'm black without knowing a single thing about me other than that. Not to mention, he's a lawyer in town, so it's not like he's a redneck hick. He ended up a patient of another retina specialist. For whatever reason, he was disgruntled with that retina specialist, and he had an appointment to see me. He then proceeded to no-show that appointment, and then call and demand a certain date and time. Once my staff realized who he was, they called and told him to stay with his current retina specialist. Aside from once in residency, when a patient refused to let me examine them face to face, this is the most blatant racism I have encountered. Patients say I don't look like a doctor. Um, is that because I am young? Black? Female? Attractive? All of the above? I get this a lot. And kind of part and parcel, patients question my medical knowledge because of that. One of my partners has a mug that says, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. Tempted to plaster that on all the walls of my exam room. Best, Jessica. All right, everybody, that's all we've got for this episode. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our speakers, Julia Haller, Anat Lowenstein. Gita Lalwani, Jessica Randolph, and Talisa DiCarlo. I'm Scott Kraswanis. I'm Rana Draha. See you next time. Press two to play new messages. Hello, Scott. This is Julia Haller, and I'm here to read the credits. New Retina Radio is a production of Bryn Mawr Communications and New Retina MD. The show is produced by Scott Kraswanis with help from Rachel Kagan. Our staff includes Rana Jaraha, Dave Levine, Megan Beiser, Elisa D'Amato, Laura Geis, Julie Kassab, and MJ Stewart. The show was mixed by Greg Nofstein and recorded by Greg, Brian Bechtel, and Frank Conti. Our publisher is Janet Burke. For advertising questions, contact us at New Retina Radio at bmctoday.com. Thank you and goodbye. End of messages. Hey there, listeners. This is Scott outside of the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, PA. New Retina Radio is brought to you by the New Retina MD app, available for smartphone and tablet. Search New Retina MD in the App Store, download the app, select the issue you want to read, and voila, you've got Retina on the go. Inside, you'll find exclusive content, including video meeting coverage from iTube.net, news updates, and social media opportunities.